Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I just want to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When I tell you that the stock market doesn't reflect current conditions in the economy, there's two parts to that. Last night, I focused on the fact that the major averages are not representative of the broader economy. Something that held true today with the Dow falling 85 points, S&P losing 0.44%, NASDAQ sinking 0.57% after the dollar skyrocketed, something we warned you about last night, because the Fed minutes sowed confusion about how much they'll keep helping the economy. See, stronger dollars is not great, but more importantly, the incredible V-shaped rally in the stock market simply doesn't jive with reality in a world where we still have double-digit unemployment. Tonight, though, we need to talk about the other part of the sentence. The stock market doesn't reflect current conditions. Emphasis on the word current. Why? Because the market's actually a forecasting machine. It's a crystal ball, and it's supposed to be appearing six to nine months in the future. Maybe the economy's in rough shape right now, but let's say the averages don't reflect now. Let's, uh, let's say they reflect uh, next February. So what are the odds? The economy will be in much better condition uh, by then. And because that's what some people would say stocks are saying. Yeah, that's the key question. And tonight, I want to go over some major obvious data points that you and I both know, because you follow the market, that could help guide us to the answer. All right, first, let's start with the most reliable data available. And that's the actual results that we just got from Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, and Target the biggest retailers in America other than Amazon and Costco. Now, all four of these companies reported in the last 48 hours, and if you listen to their conference calls, well, you've got a couple of really bedrock takeaways. For starters, when it comes to the big, back, uh, big box stores, the consumer's buying pretty much buy, 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 buy. anything that's not nailed down. The standout category, anything home-related, because so many people are stuck working home remotely. Plus, it didn't hurt that there's nothing else to do. Shopping at these essential stores became essential for your sanity. Once they rolled out mass policies and convinced you won't get sick, well, people couldn't stay away. The other major takeaway, though, for the most part, and this is what may some people think nervous about today, for the most part, spending ta- tailed off as we got further along in the quarter and the government stimulus ran out. In fact, only Target, which had the best numbers in the group, hence why its stock rallied $17 or 12%. Yep, only Target made me feel like the boom continued beyond July. Only Target reassured me. The other issue, while the numbers were fantastic, I think there's a big catch. As Target's hard-charging CEO Brian Cornell pointed out, most, uh, much of their gains came at the expense of other competitors. Which competitors? All right, well, they said they, t- they took $5 billion worth of sales from the rest of retail. But let's puzzle over this. Given that Costco, Amazon, Walmart, Home Depot, and Lowe's all had great numbers, we got to conclude that aside from these big box chains, Target's taken from everybody else. I say the sign of the times. The rest of the retail is going down the drain. 
So it's entirely possible to craft a negative scenario from these numbers. That's not tortured, people. You could do that because their gain is everyone else's pain. And if Congress can't pass another stimulus package, even the big box change right now could be running on fumes. Now, I love that these companies are thriving. But in terms of crafting and forecast for the economy, look, it's a mixed blessing. Second data point. We have an incredible Warring bull market and all things commodity. Ah. Oil. Yeah, that's true. Oil's going up. Natural gas, lumber, copper, you name it. Now, you can see it all. You can see it in the oil stocks, which are kind of hanging in there, even though I don't like them, although I do like Pioneer. You see it in miners like Freeport McBrand. I can't believe that would take tech resources. Now, I think crude could still go either way. Prices have been able to rise because OPEC's holding down production. But other commodities? They're all screaming that better times are indeed ahead. Score one for the recovery. Next up, the entire housing complex has been on fire for weeks. Now, that jives with today's terrific mortgage application numbers. Housing only accounts for 10% of the economy. So you might say, wait, come on. It's a pipe dream that can help us. But wait a second. We say that it punches well above its weight. I regard it as encouraging. Now, I think the housing booms about more than low rates. I believe people are getting more optimistic about beating the pandemic in the not-too-distant future. But the counterpoint here is that a lot of folks are buying homes in the suburbs to get away from COVID hotspots in the cities. Still, you don't buy a house unless you're feeling optimistic. Otherwise, you just rent. Now, some people will say that all this is a bubble created by the multi-trillion dollar stimulus package and the Federal Reserve printing money like crazy. I say, forget it. That doesn't work. Don't asterisk stuff. It it, it doesn't help you. Congress and the Fed were doing what I call their jobs. They created conditions where some companies could thrive, but the companies that are truly thriving are the ones that worked for it. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet didn't get trillion-dollar-plus valuations. Two trillion today in the case of Apple because of the Fed. And honestly, even after these moves, I I can create a story which says that those stocks aren't that expensive. Of course, the other thing about the recent rally is what I mentioned last night. It is heavily weighted in favor of the tech stocks that Wall Street loves when the economy is stagnant. Five tech companies now make up 25% of the S&P 500. That's hardly diversified. The strength in housing is very encouraging. The strength in tech, not so much. The most worrisome thing about this market, though, it's the continued weakness in the financials. They can't get out of their own way. They are so far away from their highs, it's incredible. Now, I would feel a heck of a lot better about the economy if the big banks were going up and the financial technology stocks were going down. I think the weakness in the banks is far more important than Apple hitting $2 trillion today or the home builders rallying or even commodities going higher because it's about credit risk and credit risk can really hurt the stock market. So let's put it all together. Is the market predicting a boom? It's possible, but there's one huge caveat. Whether we're talking about home buying or consumer spending, everything comes back to COVID-19. I'm going to give some positives here. See, if you believe Regeneron's new cocktail trial in partnership with Roche that was talked about this morning can cut down the death rate to much lower levels. If you believe that everyone will be vaccinated in six months because so many good companies are working on vaccines. If you think Congress will pass a second stimulus package to bail out the millions of people who've lost their jobs, not to mention all the smart small businesses in danger of going under until we get the vaccine, then, yeah, we could be in for a boom. And it could be in great shape that it being the economy, 
by next February. Me, I think it's a little more complicated than that. As I see it, the pandemic has caused some permanent changes in the economy. And if those changes aren't rolled back, you might not like where we're headed. Let me put it this way. If small business didn't exist, if all we had were Walmart, Amazon, Costco, Target, Home Depot, and Lowe's, if they were the only retailers that mattered, if we didn't have a huge travel and leisure and dining industry all supported by small business, then I would feel great about the future right now. But you see, small business is integral to our economic future. And right now, that's what's being eroded, if not being wiped out. That makes it a lot harder for me to be as optimistic as I'd like, because sooner or later, that pain will make its way into the market, most likely via the banks, which is what those stocks are telling about, which is why they're doing so poorly. The bottom line, yes, I think the economy is going to look better six months from now. But based on the action in the market, it's probably not going to be that great. I'll start believing in a V-shaped economic recovery the moment we get a V-shaped recovery in the bank stocks, but not before. Until then, the real boom will only come with a vaccine. Everything else is either artificial and about to run out of gas or digital, which is good for the stock market. But very bad, very bad if you get obsoleted because of it. John in Arizona. John. Hey, how you doing? John, I'm doing well, trying to figure it all out like everybody else. How can I help? Hey, well, it's pretty hot here, and then I'm looking at TikTok and um, following Oracle uh, for a while now. I was just wondering what your take was. Uh, well, I've been saying I broke the story, not that I'm going to get credit for it, but that's OK, because I'm Jimmy Chill. I broke the story that the White House wants Oracle. Well, first of all, that Oracle's interested. But second, that the White House wants Oracle. It would be fabulous if Oracle got TikTok, because right now Oracle is not being valued as having a very good cloud business, no matter how much Larry Ellison, and the founder, and Safrakat says. Well, if they get this business and they can keep it separate from China, then I think we'll think that Oracle deserves a much higher price earnings multiple. So I think if you own Oracle, hold on. Let's go to Dave in Florida, please. Dave. Hey, Jim. I love the show, and I have a 10-year-old son named James who absolutely hates it when I call him Jimmy Chill. You should like that. That's what the name my daughter gave me when she realized I was completely not (laughs) chill. What's up? A month or so ago, you had a segment making the case for some of the great outdoor stocks. Yes. I I like the theme a lot, and I bought Brunswick, which had a great quarter but went down. Callaway, because I think golf is a great social distancing sport and the golf courses are back open, and Winnebago, which I hope will report a big quarter in October. But all three stocks have been either flat or down since I bought them, and I'm wondering if I should stay long in these. Uh, ones you you want to. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, look, these stocks did run, but the fact is, is these are the companies that are doing really well. And they're doing well because COVID is not done enacting its toll on our country. And I think that if you own those companies long enough, Things will come back. I'm not concerned. Let's go to Daniel in New Jersey. Daniel. Hey, Jim. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, I I accumulated a big position of TJ Maxx in May and was planning on selling around uh, uh, 63 a share. Mm -hmm. But after the earning reports, uh, the price dropped. I want to know, is this a good company uh, to be in for the long term, or should I start selling off? All right, no, 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 no. I mean, look, I beat myself up about it. Like, I had some big wins, but Action Alerts owned this. We walked, ran it down from 60 to 53. People actually have to listen to the conference call. The conference call was much more bullish than we thought. They did have some issues in trying to get the right merchandise in. They did have some issues in trying to reconfigure their stores for COVID. That said, they are going to have a fantastic Christmas. They just simply did not tell the story right in the headlines. They told it right in the conference call, which very few people bothered to listen to. All right. I think the economy will bounce back. That's what the stocks are telling me. But it just may not be a strong bounce back because you know what isn't cured yet. 
Old Man Bunny tonight. It's an under-the-radar player in the fight against COVID, supplying medical oxygen as a treatment for what this virus can do to you. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO. Then I'll explain why you should be taking the price target bump game with a grain or even a box of salt. And at-home stocks just soared more than 470% over the past three months, up 1,500% from the bottom. Can the home improvement trend continue to push the stock higher? I'm talking with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Binge on 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, and everything from hit movies to the latest news, comedy, live sports, and more. Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Some of my favorite stocks are the ones that belong to companies with very little competition. When you don't have many rivals, it's a lot easier to make money. Consider the case of Lindy. It's the huge industrial gas distributor created by the merger of a company I love, Praxair, and the old Lindy AG in 2018. I was shocked that the antitrust regulators let this one go through. But that's usually a reason to buy the stock, which is why I told you to buy the new Lindy when it was trading in the 150s. Well, now the stock's at 247 after barely skipping a beat when the, the pandemic first hit. Like most industrials, Lindy got slammed in February and March, but unusually, this one quickly came roaring back to the point where it was already making new highs earlier this summer. When Lindy reported a couple of weeks ago, they shot the lights out. Because even though volumes were down, some people say substantially, the company's able to raise price. That's something you can do when you're part of what I regard as an oligopoly. I'm sure the company doesn't feel that way. And honestly, I think there's got a lot more upside here. But do not take it from me. Let's check in with Steve Angel, the CEO of Lindy, to get a better sense of how his company's holding up and why I like it so much. Mr. Angel, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. I watch you all the time. Oh, thank you, Steve. Let's go right to it. You have a very resilient pastiche of businesses. It's almost not right to call you an industrial because that implies that you're cyclical. But most people don't understand the the need, the necessity of industrial gases. So maybe because it's your first time, you can tell people why you are so important and integral to so many economies. Well, that's a great question. So in, in the healthcare space, we provide medical oxygen and other respiratory therapies that uh, obviously are in demand with uh, the type of situation we have around the world today with COVID-19. Uh, we also provide uh, oxygen for steel making process. In fact, you can produce steel today without using oxygen. Uh, our nitrogen is used in the semiconductor uh, fabrication process, chip making process, and hydrogen is used in refining. And I'm sure we're going to talk about hydrogen with respect to clean energy uh, before we get off this call. But today, uh, we sell uh, copious amounts of hydrogen into the refining space. Well, I definitely want to get to hydrogen, but you brought up the... uh 
uh, the elephant in the room, COVID. I was surprised. Uh, the actual amount of, of people who are currently using Lindy oxygen versus who I think will have to, because this disease turns out to be far more dangerous than people realize. Sadly, this will be uh, oxygen will be in demand for a very long time after people leave the hospital, sir. And that is sadly, but good business for Lindy. Uh, I, I agree with that, Jim. It's it's a service that you know we're happy to provide. We're proud to provide. You know, and in fact, what happened uh, as a result of COVID? And we all know the situation. Hospitals were overwhelmed with patients, and they needed to be able to transition patients out of the hospital into a home environment. Right. And we operate in the United States a company called LendCare, which is the largest respiratory home care company in the United States. And we set up protocols. We work with the government to be able to take these patients quickly out of the hospital, relieve that capacity, and treat them in the home. And, and what's interesting, I just checked this number today, you know, six months ago, we would not have been treating one COVID patient right. anywhere. Uh, and today it's like 25,000. It's growing. Unfortunately, it's growing quite rapidly. Yeah, I think that people, as someone who has a friend who's using and sadly using uh, Lindy Air, what I can tell you is, is that people don't understand that there is something between getting over it and dying. And it often involves compromised lungs of which you are integral if a person's going to walk up a, up a set of stairs. That's correct, Jim. And, and again, it's 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 a business that we've been in for some time. We take it very seriously. We have broad capabilities. We have portable ventilators, concentrators, CPAPs, BiPAPs. We have clinicians. We have technicians. We're a full service provider of respiratory home care. And, and as it turns out, we, we ended up being a very important second line of defense for hospitals. Oh, absolutely. OK, now let's talk about something that our viewers are so excited about, and it's not just a dalliance. You talk about how there are companies that say they like to be clean, their company to come on the airwaves, they say they got ESG credentials, and then you say that there are companies like Lindy that are actually players in the hydrogen business today. You dominate hydrogen. When we speak about hydrogen fuel, the clean fuel, we should be thinking Lindy. Uh, great point, Jim. We have a multi-billion dollar business today. And we've been in the hydrogen business for decades. We're a full service provider. Uh, we produce the hydrogen. We can transmit the hydrogen. We can store the hydrogen. We can take it from gas to a liquid back to a gas. Uh, we have hydrogen refueling stations. You know, we're a full service provider and we're investing in technologies such as electrolysis that will enable what people refer to as green hydrogen. Now, of course, hydrogen does not have a color. It's colorless. Uh, but it is a great source of energy. And green just means there's no carbon content anywhere in that production process. So we're investing in green hydrogen. Today, we're a big player in what you might call gray hydrogen, uh, which would be made from natural gas. Uh, but we're providing the, those hydrogen molecules. I mentioned refineries uh, early on, but also we're providing that hydrogen to places like China and other parts of the world as all these countries try to build out their hydrogen economy. So, yes, we're a player. We've been a player and we'll be a player going forward. What would it mean if, say, one percent of the long haul trucks in this world were to switch to hydrogen? <laughs> if one percent um, of all commercial vehicles and, and the point you make, I think, is, is a good one, which is heavy haul trucking, particularly long distance heavy haul trucking, 
is an excellent application for hydrogen. And if 1% of all the energy used today for heavy haul trucking was converted to hydrogen, that equals about $20 billion per year consumption of hydrogen itself. And of course, you've got the infrastructure that needs to go in place to build out that. But just 1% is a $20 billion per year market. And so, you know, obviously these are staggering numbers when you think about it. Now, one thing that I think people should understand about Lincare, I mean, you're in healthcare, food and beverage, electronics, manufacturing, chemicals, metals, but you're also everywhere. And I did feel jealous for a moment, sir, that China is doing so much with Lindy and hydrogen. They seem to be ahead of our country. You know, it, it, it's interesting, uh, Jim. Obviously, there's been a lot of press about the EU. Uh, and they came out with their Green New Deal, and, uh, you know, it was excellent work. They're providing a good regulatory framework in Europe. Uh, and you'll hear announcements from each member country now with respect to their specific hydrogen strategies. But uh, it doesn't surprise me that countries in Asia are moving first. Uh, South Korea has a big focus on hydrogen mobility. They don't really care about the color of the molecule. And, again, it's colorless, but I'm talking about carbon content. They want to build out their hydrogen uh, economy first. Japan's very similar. China, which is kind of typical the way China approaches this, they spread their bets out. Uh, They're pursuing hydrogen for transportation. Uh, We just signed two agreements uh, very, very recently. One is with the largest uh, power company, renewable power company in China. Uh, It's near Beijing. And so what we're going to do with them is we're going to build uh, electrolysis equipment, Mm -hmm. which takes water uh, and electricity, renewable power. In this case, we'll make green hydrogen. That green hydrogen will be used uh, in buses, some 300 buses, I'm told. Okay. And I don't think this is all they plan on, on using it for, but let's say 300 buses that are going to shuttle back and forth between Beijing and the Great Wall during the Olympics. So we'll have green hydrogen in production, fill, filling up buses, uh, starting really towards the end of next year. So that's one application. Then you go south at, in an area called Daya Bay, which where we have a longstanding relationship with Seanook. Right. Seanook is the third largest oil company in China. They came to us. They have hydrogen in their refining process. They want us to take that hydrogen, clean it up, transport it, uh, and build out hydrogen refueling stations. Again, we have that capability. And then jointly, we're going to serve the hydrogen market there. Well, well, so that's me, two examples where we're moving quickly in China. Well, look, we, we've got to run, but I would say for the, from now on, when people say, listen, I want to own a hydrogen play, I'm going to say, why don't you own Lindy, which is hydrogen, and a lot more, because I think that you guys are at the top of the game. Steve Angel, CEO of Lindy, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. Now you know why we like this company so much. Think about what they are. They are the future. Mad Money's back in. It's finally here. Untold Stories, Top Moments from Worlds brings you closer than ever to the best players, top moments, and biggest events from all the past League of Legends World Championships. The rise of Faker, the origin of Silver Scrapes, the greatest match ever, and Freak's Basement. We've got all these stories and so much more. Untold Stories, Top Moments from Worlds. Listen for free exclusively on Spotify. Let me tell you 
tell you about the analyst dilemma. What do you do when a stock you're recommending hits your price target? Do you take a victory lap and downgrade it? Sell, sell, sell. Because it got to where you thought it was going? Do you just ignore it? Or do you raise your price target because the darn thing's going up and you don't want to leave the party? All right, this is genuinely a tough decision. I'm not making support of it. We run an investment club that follows my charitable trust, ActionAlertsPlus.com. And it's always difficult when a stock we like outruns our price target. I believe in staying disciplined. So unless the fundamentals have changed for the better, we take part of the position off the table and then raise our price target for the rest, trying to figure out why it's going up and then nailing it. In a way, we split the difference for the travel trust. We don't want to be too greedy, but we also don't want to miss out on a big move. But that's not how it works on Wall Street during a rip snort in the bull market. With a few notable exceptions, most stocks will blow through your price target in this, in this atmosphere and just keep roaring. And that creates a situation where the analysts are petrified that they'll have nothing to recommend if they simply take a victory lap and tell you to sell. Case in point, Target, which surged 12% today after a magnificent quarter. Do you know how hard it is to stay disciplined enough and, and not downgrade a red-hot stock simply because it hit your target? I mean, that's what some analysts did on the way up, and I can't blame them. for they, they were just trying to be responsible. But downgrading target for the quarter turned out to be a huge mistake, even though it had been up a lot already. Most analysts have given up on that kind of discipline. Just this morning alone, we got multiple price target bumps in Home Depot. That deserved it. That had good numbers. But Salesforce, Workday, Palo Alto Networks, the cybersecurity play, we saw single price target bumps in Nike, Disney, Wayfair, Kramer Family, Fave, Okta. I think there's no rigor in this kind of analysis. But then again, it's been working. Unfortunately, these analysts don't have the luxury of splitting the difference like we do for the charitable trust. They're not running a portfolio where they can sell a part of the position and let it run. They only are issuing stark recommendations. So what's the solution? Honestly, after the shortest bear market in history, I think you need to turn the whole process on its head. What was prudent in a a more typical market, the kind of market we've had for the last decade, now seems reckless. What was reckless before is now prudent. In other words, these days, the real discipline is trying to come up with an actual hard reason to keep raising your price target and not just saying, oh, there it goes. Um, Was it responsible to downgrade target ahead when the company turned out to have changed so radically? No, it actually lacked rigor. Uh, and they understood the pandemic and they've got terrific management, so it was wrong to bet against them. If your channel checks show that Salesforce is having an amazing quarter, then you do have the ammo to bump that price target with some dignity and intelligence. But if you're just trying to chase the momentum, which is what I think most people were doing with these, well, you better be willing to admit it. Unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of trend follower analysts who refuse to cop to what they're really doing, which is surfing the momentum wave. Now, that's not necessarily a bad strategy right now. But you got to be honest about it, because momentum can be fickle, as those who bought early on in the day today found out by the close. My conclusion, take the price target, okay, that whole bump game, with not just one of the a shaker of McCormick's, but how about a whole box of Morton's? Unless there's something truly new at work, and for almost all of today's uh, price target bumps, there wasn't, then you should actually disregard a price target bump and just consider some of Wall Street's mumbo-jumbo. This is a game played by blind bulls who will not be there for you when things go wrong. And sooner or later, for almost every stock, something does go wrong. Much more to make money at, including my exclusive with a retailer heading higher in an uncertain market. Don't miss my sit down with at home. Then from cars to streetlights to home sensors, analog devices helps power a number of products that make your life easier. You just don't know it. I've got the exclusive with the CEO to see if it can help power your portfolio higher. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
big story of the last few months is that the pandemic's actually been fabulous for a whole host of companies, even if it's a huge problem for the broader economy or, you know, uh, human life. For example, as I said at the top of the show, COVID has ignited a smoking hot bull market in housing and all things housing related. As people flee from densely populated cities to cheaper suburbs where you can actually have some outdoor space. And when you get a new house, you need to decorate, which brings me to at home. Yes, here's a home goods retailer that was falling apart last year. The stock had been obliterated after a series of bad quarters. And when the pandemic first hit, the stock plunged to, get this, a buck 20 at the bottom. Since then, though, it's come roaring back because people who are stuck at home spend more money making their homes a pleasant place to be or work in. Sure enough, at home has been putting up some spectacular numbers. A few weeks ago, they pre-announced a blog quarter with 42% same-store sales growth. Since then, the stock's launched into the stratosphere. Hey, look, it nearly doubled. To, it went to 18 today. Uh, it's now 1,500% from the March lows. And even after this move, you know what? It's selling at 13 times earnings. It's pretty darn cheap. So we got to ask, can the stock have room to run? Well, let's check in with the man who came home when the stock was much lower and said, do not, do not worry, be aggressive. I'm talking about Lee Bird, the chairman and CEO of At Home. Get a better sense of how his company's pulled off this magnificent turnaround. Mr. Bird, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me. All right, Lee, I know you've been a believer the whole time, never questioned your judgment, but now everyone's saying, hey, it was a one quarter only. Don't worry, it's going to start going back down. The same store sales are going to be miserable. Can these people really see that gloomy a future? Not for us. I'll tell you, for this sector, it's growing. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of nesting. I'm, I'm working from home. We're all working from home. The category is strong, but we're outperforming the industry. We had growth over two and a half times the industry in the second quarter. We finished the quarter strong with over, over 40% same sort of sales increase and saw the momentum continue on. I am hearing over and again for retailers, but off record, not on, that if you have wide aisles, if you have space in between, if people don't feel compromised when they shop, they spend more money. At-home stores are big, and it looks like they are safe. Is, am I reading that correctly? That's true. You can social distance easily in our stores. We have one-way aisles. We sanitization efforts have been strong for us. We make people feel safe when they shop. We wear masks. Customers wear masks. It's a big store, over 100,000 square feet. So you can feel comfortable shopping with us. All right. Now, what do we do about this? Uh, what, I, what some people are calling the Wayfair problem, meaning that Wayfair stocks up even more because it turns out that people want online. Uh, what can you do? You do the buy. You can pick it up. You can do those. But do you need to make the push to be online or you can just or you can just uh, really have a place where people go. They see they touch. They buy. Well, we did add e-commerce in this end of the first quarter, and we saw we were going to have to close our stores. We were in the middle of a test, 28-store, buy online, pick up in store test. We accelerated that across all of our stores come March 22nd. We added buy online, pick up in store, curbside pickup, as well as uh, next-day delivery starting at $10. So those increased uh, access points for our customers made people feel more safe shopping with us. But they still can come in the store. They still want to see, touch, and feel the items. They have to all match. These are accent pieces for your home. You want to make sure the rug matches the lamp, matches the tabletop decor, and so on. Uh, so that's why we, we, we bring it all together in one store. All right. How do you uh, – this is on page 10 of one of your decks. It's really great. You're the low-price leader. Same style, similar look, lower price. How do you do it, and how do you not run afoul of, say, uh, of tariffs to get this done? Well, we've dealt with tariffs. Obviously, last year, that really hit us, and we had impact on our earnings and our same-store sales growth, and we had to reset our, our own business model last year and focus on lower prices and, and uh, make sure the assortment was sharp. So what we do is we just make sure that our cost structure is tight. We have the lowest cost structure in the industry, some of the best EBITDA margins in the industry. So over 16% EBITDA margins, 
shows that we keep our cost structure tight with low prices that flows right to the bottom line. Have you moved some manufacturing uh, out of China to places that are cheaper? We have. We diversified across all of Asia, and we continue to look at domestic sourcing as well. And we continue to look at ways that we can direct source right to factories to bring our cost structure even lower. It seems like that you now have the heft, the scale, to be able to tell some of these companies, like that delivery company, look, we're not paying those prices. We're paying 10 bucks, and they do what you want. They've been great partners for us. We said we needed to find a cheaper way for our customers to be able to get it to their home. And we said we wanted to start at $10. It used to be a $49 start price. Now we brought it down to $10. More people have been able to access that. And in the end, we just want to make people feel comfortable shopping with us, whether that's in the store, curbside pickup, or at their home. We can meet all of those expectations. Uh, Just this evening, a company we like very much, Salesforce, said, look, we're having people work at home at least till July of 2021. When you hear things like that, don't you think, you know what? That means more people redesigning their homes, more people making it so that they have offices, more customers at at home. Right. Well, we think this is going to be a multi-year phenomenon. This nesting instinct, us being more at home and uh, working from home, people feel more comfortable that way. Comfortables are finding it more effective for folks to work from home. It helps young families as well balance work and family life. And we've been able to support that. And our assortment has been able to help them feel more comfortable in their home at lower prices than anyone else. One one last question. Uh, People think that Target offers low prices, and they do. And people think Amazon offers low prices, they do. But when you gave us some price selection, you come dramatically under outfits like that. We do. We make sure we've got the lowest prices every day. Uh, below other people's sales prices. That helps people feel comfortable when they are going to decide to go out and shop. And people are more discerning when they shop and where they shop. So if they're going to take one trip, they can come to one store knowing that they've got the lowest prices out there. And that's what we do. All right. uh, Lee, I got to congratulate you for sticking by your guns, doing what you did. And people say you got lucky. Uh Uh-uh. It's not luck. You stayed in the game and now you're being rewarded and your shareholders are too. Lee Bird, Chairman and CEO of At Home. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me again. If you think that this pandemic is going to last as long as outfits like Salesforce, then you have to think about things like H-O-M-E, Man Money's back in. It is time! It's time for the light round! And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the light round. Let's start with William and Mission. William. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, William. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. I'm a first-time caller. The reason for my call is that I bought this stock back in April at $5.91. Since then, it's been in a trading range, trading above $9 recently. Q2 earnings were released last week, and the stock dropped to the mid-7s. I purchased it with a long-term vision due to... Due to the telehealth benefit. Okay. My question to you is, should I hold on to Smile Direct Club? Why? Why hold on? Wait, just go buy the Livongo Teladoc. If you want to be in telemedicine, that's the one. That's going to be the king. That's where I want you to be in. Let's go to Cliff in Texas. Cliff! Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Cliff! Hey, got a question. Is the paradigm shift permanent in online education? And does 2U have a chance to compete with podcasts like... In Spotify, why not just buy Spotify? I mean, like people are like, why bother to compete with Spotify when you just buy Spotify? Spotify is an amazing company. It's been undervalued for 100 points now. I reiterate that I like it. Jamie in Oregon. Jamie. 
Hi, Jim. Hello from Calm River Living in Oregon. Well, there you go. My daughter lives in Ashland. We loved it. What's happening? Well, you know, thanks to you, I'm diversified, but I'm now looking for a stock in the pet care industry to hold on to. And should I go with the medical side like sodas or pet med or pet food side like fresh pet or chewy? Or uh, both. I happen to, I happen to, you know what? I know this is going to sound like I'm copping out here. I like all those. Uh, I, I don't really think that you're going to go wrong. Uh, I like pets, P-E-T-S, Pet Med Express. But when I listen to that group, I mean, I want a little more vig. I probably pick the chewy. Let's go to Matthew in California. Matthew. Hey Jim, shout out to Buckeye Nation. Oh, okay. some help with one medical. O N E M. Feels like the next Peladoc to me. Great earnings, beating expectations. Just another software fee. play. This time, software for insurance industry. I tire of these stocks. You can own it if you want to, but you know what? There's so many of these, and I feel like they go down. Uh, all together. I don't want that right now. Let's go to Scott in Minnesota. Scott. Mr. Chill. Yes. And I'll stay heavy on the Mr. Right. I, I bought this stock this past March at 80 bucks. It currently trades between 62 and 66. Do I stay chilled for the long haul, collect a dividend, let it get to 66, sell and buy it back at 62, buy more to average down, or just get out? That stock is Tyson Foods. Yeah, you call me chill. And I wish you didn't ask me about that stock. Because that stock be chilling for me. Now, I do think it's an undervalued stock, but I think that they made a mess of things. And so I'd like to recommend it based on the fundamentals and chicken prices. But they uh, they were obliterated by COVID. And to me, it became like Upton Sinclair's jungle. So I can't recommend it because of that. Let's go to Paul in Illinois. Paul. Jim from the land of Lincoln. There you go. Hey, I just first want to say thank you so much for all you do for us individual investors. Thank you. I got a two-part question. Okay. I got a two-part question. Uh, recently, a caller asked about a stock that you said to hold on to it, that it was a hot stock. Uh, me and my brother Micah both researched that stock and wound up buying positions in it. Uh, my son Jonathan, who's in college, him and his fraternity brothers are also looking at it. Wow. The stock is Switch, SWC. Well, data center. Data center. I mean, even tonight on the NVIDIA call. Data centers are where you want to be. Anybody connect with data centers? I know that the stocks, you know, look, if you look at it close, it's not, it's not, it's not killing it right now. But I think that you gotta think about the longer term. Let's go to Kyle, New Jersey. Kyle. Booyah, chill man. Yo, yo. I have a, I have a position in Sonos and was hoping to get a boost from earnings in August, but my uh, shares dropped 10%. Yeah, you know, I, I was surprised forward. at that. It's a good company. Um, but I think you're just going to have to wait now until the next quarter, which I think will be bigger than this one. It's it's just, it ain't going anywhere. Let's go to Dave in Illinois, please. David. Hey, Dave in LaGrange, Illinois. Jim, there you go. I need your thoughts, please, on a company called Activision Blizzard. I think Activision Blizzard is going to have a fantastic holiday season, and you should own it. Uh, this group trades uh, incredibly wildly. Most people don't have the stomach for them, so you have to strap yourself in. If you're going to own Activision Blizzard, let's go to Serena in New York. Serena. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good. How are you? Harlem. I'm great. I'm great. I'm calling you from Harlem, New York City. Okay. And I've got to thank you for keeping your ears to the pavement, even before the cement is laid out for all of us investors. <laughs> thank you. Either beginning or, or mastering the ways of the personal investing. Thank Listen. You. In the cannabis industry, for a while, you've cheered on canopy growth. Great stock. I've got myself right. a taste of it. 
However, I think you may be forgetting their Canadian opponent, Afria. Well, Afria is, is our uh, old friend, Erwin Simon, who, who used to run Hain. You know, it's a $4 stock. It's not expensive. I don't know what to do about Grow Generation. I recommended yesterday. Stock went up 25% today. So I, I can't say, hey, go pile in on that. Afria is okay. It's okay. But like I was saying, the Canadians are just so hard to own. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. After about half a year of anemic merger activity, last month we learned that analog devices, one of our favorites, the big semiconductor company with exposure to cars, aerospace, defense, consumer products, telecommunications, especially the Internet of Things, is acquiring Maxim Integrated Products for $21 billion in stock. This was a wow for me. I've wanted to hear from these guys ever since this transaction was announced. The semiconductors are one of the hottest parts of the market. And this combination will make analog devices an even bigger player in high-performance analog chips. Now, we know the company's in good shape as they pre-announced some great numbers in mid-July when they put the deal together. And then they beat the already raised estimates when they reported the full results today. But what's the future like after the Maxim Integrated Products deal? Let's drill down with Vince Roche. He's the president and CEO of Analog Devices to get a better sense of the quarter and the Maxim acquisition. Mr. Roche, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. I've got to tell you, Vince, I love your mosaic of business. We're talking consumer, automotive, motive, industrial, communications. But it looks like this communications part is an annuity stream. You are embedded in pretty much everything that's coming 5G. I don't know anyone who has more, let's say, uh, just an annuity stream than you do in 5G. How did you get that? Well, thank you. Well, it's over multiple generations, Jim. We've been playing in the base station market. We play in the radio park. We've been playing in the base station market since, uh, actually since 1G. Uh, so I've been uh, following, I've been with the company for 30 plus years. So I've been involved in 2G, 3G, 4G, and now 5G. So it's accumulated expertise and knowledge, uh, an increasingly complex suite of technology, sophisticated technologies that we bring to bear. So a lot of domain know-how, tacit knowledge as to how to build these radios in a format that uh, you know, increases performance generation by generation, decreases power, decreases cost, decreases footprint. So it's, uh, it's accumulated knowledge and capability over uh, decades. And I know that with uh, Maxim, it's only going to get better. One of the things I loved about your uh, deck of when the deal came out, 4G to 5G is equal to four times the content opportunity for your company. I mean, I think that this is how we're going to be thinking of analog, even though there's other things I like just as much. Uh, yeah, well, each generation becomes more complex, and uh, there are many, many more channels per radio in a 5G system versus a 4G system. You've got massive MIMO, these phased array antenna systems, beam steering systems. Uh, 5G also has microwave technology for point-to-point communication. So it's a huge upgrade in terms of the opportunity for the company. And uh, we're very, very well positioned with the technologies to be able to span the gigahertz spectrum right down into, into the bits. Well, another thing that I like, it's, it's not what people want to talk about, but I want to talk about. Um, I don't think automotive is going to be kept down for long. I think automotive is about to be the next leg of this bull market. If automotive comes back, there's a tremendous amount of business that analog will do, correct? 
Well, that's correct. We focus on the cabin electronics. Uh, we focus on the electric vehicle, for example, and uh, we have a lot of great power management technologies as well that we bring to bear. So, uh, you know, the, um, there is increasing content. Uh, semiconductors and, and software are really the future of cars. That's the way to think about it. Uh, so all the intelligence, the whole bedrock of what's in the car in terms of the user experience, the intelligence, the driving experience, that is all being, uh, if you like, enabled by semiconductors and software these days. So that content is increasing year by year. And, uh, you know, we play at the, at the interface between the physical world and the digital world. There are more and more sensors being used more and more actuation being done. So we see it as a great opportunity for ADI and a great intersection between the technologies we have and the needs of the car companies. All right. Now, we know that the future belongs to the electric vehicle. All of our viewers are possessed by this, and they all want me to recommend EV plays, so to speak. I want to do a company that's kind of the... Uh, uh, the let's say the arms merchant, which is battery management. <laughs> you guys own battery management. That's in all EV cars. We have a very strong position. Uh, we are the provider of the highest performance, the most uh, the most accurate measurement of the battery charge and the battery state. And uh, we're on our fifth generation now. We've just introduced a wireless version of that metrology system, which enables the, um, the reduction of wiring harnesses, for example, in the battery. Mm -hmm. takes weight down, takes reliability up, takes cost down. And it enables the configuration of these battery systems in many, many different formats now. So I see many generations, many years of upside as the penetration of the electric uh, car these days, Jim, as you know, is quite small right. as a portion of overall car SAR. So uh, I think we have a long way to go. We're in the very early innings of the electric car, but um, my sense is over the next 10 years, perhaps 20% of vehicles will be electric, up from kind of 1%, 2% today. Mm -hmm. And uh, one last thing. Uh, everyone seems to be on these earnings calls captivated by your China exposure and what's at stake. I think that's actually a reason why your stock's not higher. People should forget about that. What they should be thinking about is you're indispensable, not that you're a political football. I don't know why they drilled down on that. Do you agree with my analysis? I think that's correct. ADI is a company. We're an innovation-centered company. Uh, we've been innovating for 55 years, and we are highly diversified. Geographically, from a product standpoint, we have 45, 50,000 product SKUs. We serve many, many hundreds of different applications. And wherever high-performance analog is needed, irrespective of the geography, will be there. So my sense is uh, perhaps people are paying too much attention to the China exposure, but we are ubiquitous and pervasive in all applications at the high end. Well, I think this deal is going to be as fabulous as the last couple, which I recommended then each time because you are so good at this. Vince Rose is the president and CEO of Analog Devices. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you, too. You want a lower-risk semiconductor company that's just going to go up over time. It's Analog Devices, ADI. I used to say that just about Texas Instruments, but these guys have done some great acquisitions and it's going to make them grow faster. Man, money's back after the break. 
No, you want my opinion on NVIDIA. I can't give it till I listen to the conference call, which is so therefore going to be tomorrow morning's business, NVIDIA. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll do it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow. 1980s New York. Five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosky, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.